Hi, this is John, and today on Theocast, we are going to talk about one of the most popular books in the Old Testament most people read, Proverbs. Proverbs and Ecclesiastes, the wisdom literature of the Old Testament. We try to explain what is the purpose of these books and how we often use them inappropriately and bring law into our life and actually ignore the gospel. We explain the three uses of the law, law gospel distinction, and a redemptive historic understanding of Scripture as it relates to Proverbs. If you have no idea what those are, this podcast is definitely for you. And then our membership section, we then continue this conversation into the Proverbs 31 woman and what is the purpose of this book of Song of Solomon. We hope you enjoy. A simple way for you to help support Theocast and join the Reformation is by shopping at Amazon. That's right. Everything that you purchase there, they will take a percentage of it and donate it to our ministry. All you have to do is go to smile.amazon.com and then search for Theocast Inc. and choose us as the supporting donation. To learn more about this and other ways of supporting us, you can go to theocast.org slash give. Welcome to Theocast. Encouraging weary pilgrims to rest in Christ. Conversations about the Christian life from a Reformed perspective. Your hosts today are Justin Perdue, pastor of Covenant Baptist Church in Asheville, North Carolina. And I'm John Moffitt, pastor of Grace Reformed Church in Spring Hill, Tennessee. Justin, it's good to be uh, back on the microphone with you today, my friend. What's been going on in your life recently? Hey, jo- hey John. Good to be on the mic with you, too. We may or may not be on take seven on this intro. <laughs> we are coming out of the gate strong this morning. Two days in a row. Us are a little, yeah, both of us are a little tired. Yeah, two days in a row recording, trying to make up for not recording last week. Yeah, there's yeah. been a lot going on in, in my world. And I, I know we touched on this yesterday morning. This would be the podcast that released last week for the listeners. Nashville recently experienced a, a natural disaster, a tornado ripping through the city. And uh, there are a number of people who have lost their lives in that. And mm-hmm. last week, the reason that we couldn't record Theocast was I was engaged with um, the death and a funeral of one of our members who uh, a young lady died of cancer, uh, survived by her husband and two children. And so it's a sobering, sobering time at CBC. And, and yeah. I know a sober time for you guys there in Nashville. Um, and yeah, just mindful of the fleeting nature of life and our frailty and things like that and the horror of death, but then the the hope and the triumph of Christ in in the face of that. And yeah, I just had a really, really heavy week last week, but a really good week, if that that makes sense. Those things aren't mutually exclusive, you know. Doing a yeah. doing a funeral of a younger saint is is sober. And at the same time I was just really struck by um, how how sweet the gospel is and how the the hope of the resurrection and what Jesus has accomplished for us is the only thing that allows us to really stare death in the face and call it what it is and consider the horror of it and not go insane you know and uh, even with the hope of Christ, death tramples on so many of the things that we hold dear in this life. And, uh, yeah, it was a really good, good time of, of grieving. And, uh, we were not, we're not grieving for the sake of the departed. Her suffering is over, but we were grieving for 
you know, all of us who no longer have the, this woman in our lives and uh, we're able to, to look to Christ together in a way that was good and, uh, and gripping. So I'm grateful for that. Yeah. Um, yeah. As we sung and as we, yeah. Anyway. No, go ahead. No, just as we sung and as I was able to, you know, preach the gospel as her husband was able to extol the, the grace and the mercy and the love of the God who had saved his wife. And I mean, it was just really a a good time in that regard Um, and, and hard. Yeah. Yeah. I, uh, unfortunately have had to do quite a few funerals, um, and, yeah. you know, work with people who've lost their, their loved ones, uh, as someone who lost my dad at an early young age, you know, you have to, yeah, <clears throat> you have to work through that. And th- this is my encouragement one to those who are going to encourage or be there to care for someone who's lost a loved one. And then this is for the person who's lost it. Um, unfortunately people say, they try their mm. best and mm. they say things they've seen on TV, which <laughs> is not helpful. And when someone says, you know, they, they, we like to get through pain as fast as possible, why painkillers exist and why all kinds of things exist so that we can get through. But suffering is not necessarily a bad thing. And to go through suffering is not necessarily no, bad. That's right. So when you walk up to somebody who is suffering the loss of a death and they and you know they're a believer and you say, oh, but aren't you excited they're in heaven? No, I'm, I'm not. I, otherwise I wouldn't be grieving. You know, they're, they're, the reality of heaven is not real for us because we don't experience it and yeah. we don't see it. And this is why, the, why Paul says to grieve with those who are grieving. And he doesn't mm-hmm. say to push them through their grieving because the, the loss right. of life is, is still the effect of sin. And it's really sad and sorrowful. No, it, you're exactly right. And we were not made to die. We were made no. physical and, and spiritual, and both of those aspects of our nature are, are important. And, and to be human, as God has made us, is to be material and immaterial, right? And so right. when th- those two parts of our nature are ripped apart from each other, it's devastating. And you're, you're right. exactly right that people, people in, in certain times will say, with the best of intentions, will say very stupid things. Um, mm-hmm. And we discussed this last week, you know, just being willing to being ready and, and willing to overlook the, the ridiculous things that people say, trying yeah. to comfort those who are hurting. And, you know, and also remembering too, uh, this is important pastorally and important for all of us in the church. There are good and bad times to correct bad theology and bad thinking. <laughs> and in the throes, in the throes of grief, right, and heartbreak is not the time. There will be opportunities no. we trust in the in the months and years ahead to be able to address bad theology and bad thinking. And people say things in moments of pain that as they have time to reflect themselves, they would recant. You know, <laughs> and so, yeah. you know, as people say that the hospital room is just a bad time. Uh, or the funeral home is just a really bad time. The graveside is a bad time, you know, to yeah. to try to correct somebody in what they have just said, even if what they have said is absolutely patently false. Yeah. You know, anyway, that's a thought. And and like well, you were talking even, about two men suffering. Go ahead. Go ahead. I was going to say, and it, there's even passages of scripture that are that are true, but at the time, that's not. It's 
you know, when someone says, you know, well, God works all things together for good. Yep. Well, in their mind at the moment, the grieving mind can't comprehend that. Have you ever read the Psalms? No, it, the Psalms has a lot Jesus. of grieving, yeah. uh, bad theology, really bad theology. And yeah. Well, and uh, listen, and, and here's my encouragement. The two things that you should say to anybody who's grieving loss, loss of a child, loss of a loved one, whatever, two things is I cannot imagine how painful mm-hmm. this is for you right now. And mm-hmm. I love you. And exactly. I am here for whatever you need. And then you stop mm-hmm. talking. You just exactly. stop. I, brother, yeah, that's my almost verbatim what, what I counsel yeah. people towards as well. And, yeah. uh, and even to acknowledge that you don't know what to say other than that is sometimes just a, a good way to let the air out of the room. Like, I am so yeah. sorry for what you're going through. I can't imagine how much you're hurting. I'm here. And I... You know, basically, that's that's all I I have for you, yeah. and uh, and yeah, exactly. You're not alone, and you're one, not. You do not exact, have to go yeah. through this alone. That's right. Yeah. And you, one last comment before we transition to our topic for today. I, yeah. I think this is worth stating. You were talking about how suffering is not necessarily a bad thing, and that's obviously true biblically. Um, <laughs> suffering in and of itself, in and of itself, is not good, right? But the way that the Lord no. uses it in a fallen world is good, and He uses no. it for our our refining, our sanctification, our maturation, our growth. He creates in us more longing for heaven. He does a lot with it. Um, and I'm mindful of Ecclesiastes when Solomon says that it is better to go to the house of mourning, you know, than the house of feasting in that regard, because it gives us perspective. And yeah. the promises, bro, of, of like Romans eight twenty eight that you referenced, we could do a podcast sometime on how absurdly abused that verse is because people mm-hmm. you know, in the face of cancer and in the face of death and all these things will throw that out. Well, God works all things together for good as though they have answered and solved the problem of pain. And yeah. it's just absolutely absurd. We realize that in the context of what Paul is writing, he has been writing about the, the fact that the creation has been cursed along with humanity. It's been plunged into ruin, and it, along with us, is groaning to be liberated yeah. from the curse. And it, the creation itself is eagerly awaiting the revealing of the sons of God, which is the redemption of our bodies. He's talking about the consummation of our redemption and our resurrection. And so the promise of Romans 8.28 is clearly an eternal promise. It is not circumstantial. That, oh, well, God works all your circumstances for good. No, that's not what it means. It means that he works all things for the eternal good of his people. And those right. are things that we just can't, we can't wrap our minds around right now. But we're looking to the hope of the resurrection and the hope that Christ has provided as the only thing to hold on to. But that does not take the pain away. In, in Well, go take Romans know. 8, 28 to two scenarios in Jesus's life. One, when Lazarus dies. Clearly, he grieves yep. loss. And then number two in the garden. Hey, hey, Jesus, eight, Romans 8, 28. Why are you over here mourning unto death in the garden before yep. you were to die? <laughs> yeah, don't you know? Point, don't point you know is, that God works all things for good? Yeah, that's right. Point is, it's, it's part of the human process to grieve loss. And to tell someone that's to right. stop grieving is just not appropriate. So anyways, well, it's all even, right, we'll have to do a podcast but, on that. Seriously. Sometime. <laughs> Seriously, last comment. Think about the book of Job. We know chapters one and two of Job really well. We know chapters 38 and following really well. 
there are like 36 chapters of wrestling in the middle that sometimes we sort of just gloss over because Job is an upright man and at the same time wrestles like crazy with the loss and the grief and everything that he is facing. And his friends are of no help and all those kinds of things. But it's not like we just fast forward from chapter two to chapter 38 and that's all there is to it. We struggle and wrestle as human beings. Well, that was uh, a long intro, uh, but I hope in some ways <laughs> helpful and maybe encouraging. And it's not unrelated to what we're going to talk about today, John. So go ahead and set no, us up. It's not. Well, today we are going to be covering, uh, we're, we like to go through the scripture once in a while and pull out different books or passages and bring some helpful insight where there's possibly confusion. And we do a series called yeah. Dazed and Confused, where people read particular Romans eight twenty eight would be a great Dazed and Confused that we could do. We kind we'll of do already did, <laughs> right? But we'll do it some more. So today, yeah. yeah, today we are covering probably the most read, if not the second most read, book in the Bible. And if I'm going to, well, I guess if you've already seen the title of the podcast, you already know. So it's already a giveaway. Uh, but th- we're going to talk about Proverbs and actually connected with Proverbs. We'll explain how Ecclesiastes goes with it. But the wisdom sure. literature of the Old Testament. And if someone has grown up in their in the Christianity, they probably have read Proverbs and Psalms in rotation more than any other book to the tune of probably 50 times more than any other that they have because they're simple. You can read two to three, five, you know, you could read, you don't have to read an entire chapter of Proverbs. You could read four or five right. Proverbs in the day and have enough wisdom in there yeah. for you to try and apply and, and they're relatively and self-contained the next day. and all that. <laughs> right. Uh, so there's quite a few of them. And, and the same thing with the Psalms until you hit Psalm 119 and then everybody kind of freaks out and then they're like, oh, I'm going to have to mm-hmm. break this up into sections. Uh, <laughs> right. But the, the <laughs> but the, what we're going to, really unravel and kind of expose is how pietism and legalism really changes the purpose and the design of Proverbs. You end up losing the value of it and not gaining the value of it. And you end up putting pressure into Proverbs in your own life and you personalize Proverbs in ways that Proverbs, we're going to argue, was really never designed to be internalized. It was actually supposed to be designed to push mm-hmm. you out of yourself. So uh, that's yeah. kind of where we're at. Now, before we get started, I thought I would just be fun how we do this all the time, how people pick and choose their favorite Proverbs. So, Justin, I, I wanted to give you my favorite proverb. Uh, it actually give it to us. I'm, I'm really excited. I'm sitting <laughs> down. It's a good thing I'm not standing up because I might fall over. Go ahead. Right. And so the, the, uh, you know, of course we've always heard, and we'll talk about this a little bit with the Proverbs 31 woman, and there's all of these pressures that are put on women oh, for to be, you know, and it's, it's printed in every room in my house to remind my wife and to remind my daughters of, of this what is, God expects them to be. I'm, I'm watching and, a train wreck in slow motion. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, but I do, I do, I do think that it's interesting that there are certain proverbs that we just don't seem to apply and we don't seem to sure. think there's much wisdom in them. And so I just want to take Proverbs 31, specifically how it's always addressed to the woman and how she's supposed to be. I'm going to actually just read to you two verses at the beginning of the chapter, verses six and seven. Uh, this is what the proverb says. Give strong drink to the one who is perishing and wine to those in bitter distress. Let them drink and forget their poverty and remember their misery no more. 
Amen. Um, yeah. I'm just going to let it sit there. Let it sit. <laughs> uh, okay. I'm just being funny. But that is a proverb. Yeah. I did not make that up. Some of you are grabbing your Bibles right now because you don't believe what I just read. That's ESV, by the way, is is in there. It's Justin. in there. Justin, yes. give us some relief, my friend. So you've been preaching through Proverbs, and uh, let's let's help the listener and the reader uh, get some clarity on what do they do with Proverbs. So if they've been listening to Theocast for yeah. a while, you're enjoying the cross, legalism's bad, pietism's bad. It seems like Proverbs is just a packed jam full of pietism. Well, where's the release valve, and how do we turn Proverbs from being guilt-driven to actually finding joy? Yeah. There's a lot to do just by way of setting the table, and that's what we're going to spend the next chunk of time doing, and then we'll consider the book high level. Proverbs is is really poorly represented often, and I think for most of us, as you've just alluded to, the book has not been something uh, that's been very life-giving or encouraging, and a lot of times, if we're honest, we don't even know what to do with it because we we go to it, especially for those of us who are reformed and have maybe never heard it taught on, which it's, it's, it's sadly not preached very often, I think, for some of these, these reasons that we're talking about, because people are like, I'm not quite sure what to do with this, uh, because there's just all of this imperative and exhortation and wisdom and, and the like. And it's going to surprise none of our listeners who have been with us for a while that we want to begin talking about Proverbs by discussing some high-level theological categories. And so we'll start with the, the redemptive historical framework of the Bible, where we understand the main point of the whole Bible, all of Scripture, to be God's plan of redemption that he has accomplished through Jesus. And that's really important as we come to Proverbs, when we consider even the covenantal framework of the Bible, where in the beginning of of the scripture in the early chapters of Genesis, we see that God made a covenant with our first parents, Adam and Eve. He told them things that they were to do, and he gave them a prohibition that they were not to eat of this one particular tree. And Adam and Eve, we know in Genesis chapter three, broke that covenant that God had made with them. And therefore the curse and judgment came. That covenant is referred to theologically as the covenant of works. Had Adam kept the covenant that God made with him, he would have lived on in perpetuity and perfect relationship with God. But given that that covenant was broken, not only did judgment come, God in Genesis chapter 3 and verse 15 made another promise, made another covenant with Adam and Eve and thereby all of Adam's posterity that we call the covenant of grace, where he promised a redeemer who would come. And then underneath that covenant of grace are a number of other covenants that are subservient to it beginning with the Noahic covenant in Genesis, where God promises to sustain the world, but then also the covenant God made with Abraham, where he promises to make out of Abraham a people that every nation would be blessed through Abraham's promised seed and that Abraham's people would have a land forever. We know that those things are ultimately fulfilled through Christ and will be consummated in the new heavens and the new earth. There is also a covenant that God made with Moses in which he gave the law which we understand to be a reissuing of the covenant of works, not formally, but with respect to what God requires, its terms. Here is how we are to live. And then God also made a covenant with David that one of his sons would sit forever on the throne of righteousness. And it is in that particular era of the Davidic covenant that we find Proverbs. 
In fact, David's son, Solomon, wrote the majority of the Proverbs. And so it's helpful for us to hold all of that in view in terms of redemptive history and where we're situated in the Bible. So that's a lot that I've already just said. I don't know if you want to jump in before before we maybe get into the law and uses of the law, but please, John, I've talked for like five minutes. (laughs) No, it's good. It was a great overview. And for those of you that are new to covenant theology, welcome to the intro. Uh, we have uh, some recommendations we on our website, uh, some books. Just go to our website and go to uh, recommended reading. There's some 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 books you can read there. Uh, but I will say that the, the the hardest part of reading Old Testament literature, specifically something like Proverbs, is that we always read it encapsulated as if it's its own book, like uh, right. um, in a vacuum. Scripture or is something. a right. Scripture is a library, and in this library that holds books happens to be Proverbs. Mm. Yeah. And it's it's not it, if you were to walk into a library, you have fantasy, you have history, and then you have wisdom. And so we're going to grab wisdom, but that's not how it was written. It wasn't written disconnected from the story of redemption that started in Genesis and is now flowing all the way through the book of Revelation. So when you think of just as Justin said, when you think of Proverbs, you have to look at it in its historical setting, which is it's yeah. during the time of David underneath the Davidic covenant, which meaning is if you don't understand the Davidic covenant, this is this is vitally important. There's a promise given to David that one of his sons is going to sit on the throne and perfectly obey the law. And when he obeys yeah. the law perfectly, he will earn the eternal kingdom. He will earn the right passage to God's kingdom forever. So, of course, Solomon uh, is born, and then Solomon thinks this is him, and he builds the temple and says, okay, I'm." and and, and of course, God then clarifies again, no, you don't understand. It's definitely not you. (laughs) Look at your life. He means perfection. He means absolute perfection. And so from that moment on, you hear the stories of this king lived right in the eyes of God, but he wasn't perfect, and this king was horrible. It was up and down and up and down. And this is why we're waiting for the coming king when you finally get to Matthew, right? You're waiting for the coming king. And what does Jesus do as the king, the Messiah, the king of the Jews? He perfectly obeys the law and therefore earns right of passage into the eternal kingdom for all of the people of of God, not that's exactly not just right. the Jews. We are excited to announce that we have a new free ebook available at our website called Faith versus Faithfulness, a primer on rest. And we the host put this together to explain the difference between emphasizing one's faith in Christ versus emphasizing one's faithfulness to Christ, and how one leads to rest and how the other often to a lack of assurance. And you can get this at theocast.org slash primer. And if you've been encouraged by what you've been hearing at Theocast, we'd ask you to help partner with us. You can do that by joining our Total Access membership. That's our monthly membership that gives you access to all of our material that we've produced over the last four years, or simply by donating to our ministry. And you can do that by going to our website, theocast.org. We hope that you enjoy the rest of the conversation. And that's the... That's the big thing is that the the greater David who is to come, the Davidic king, the Messiah, would fulfill the law for his people's sake. That's the very clear witness of Scripture, that his obedience would then be representative for and be counted to all of his subjects. And he, 
through his righteousness and obedience would bring his people into the kingdom of God forever. And so it's important that when we go to Proverbs, we keep all of that in view because the Mosaic law is still a thing, right? And so we're under, we're under law and the people are looking for the Messiah, the Christ who is to come, who would fulfill the law and sit on the throne forever. So you cannot read Proverbs divorced from those redemptive historical realities, or you will go all kinds of astray with it, for <laughs> right. sure. So at the, yeah, so for at sure. this point in go history, ahead. you've got, at this point of history, you have the promise given to Adam and Eve. Well, the law we know already exists because it's the first five books of the Old Testament. So David would have known of the law. He even says, I love thy law in his Psalms. Uh, the Abrahamic covenant then consists inside that law. Of course, it's in Genesis. So they understand that from Abraham, there is to come a, a seed. And even it uh, says through Judah, there's to come a king. And from that king, yeah. all the nations will be blessed. And so right. they understand these promises because they lived under the law. The law was read to them as a people. It was a part of their yeah. culture as the Jewish nation. So the Messiah is not foreign to them. So when you read Proverbs, you're not reading it disconnected from the history, from the law, and especially from the promises of the Messiah. Right. Because Jesus actually comes, and every every command that you see or every wisdom literature that's written in there, Jesus is the the final fulfillment of that, just to kind of exactly. drop, I, <laughs> yeah, drop I mean, it early. We don't need to bury the lead, right? I mean, I know as, I, as I'm preaching through Proverbs 1 to 9, I am very clear, redundantly so, over and over again, that Jesus is wisdom personified. He is wisdom fulfilled. You know, he is wisdom consummated. All of these things, wisdom provided. And so whenever we see all of those things described in Proverbs, we should be seeing Christ in those regards. But then inevitably, we're, we're dealing with another thing that we talk about a lot at Theocast, which is law gospel distinction when you come to Proverbs as well, because the Proverbs is full of imperatives. And there are even certain phrasings that go just like the law goes, where Solomon will write to his proverbial son and say, son, keep my commandments and you will live. And we yeah. look at that and we say, oh my goodness, Like this sounds just like Moses when Moses says, mm-hmm. do these things and you will live. Do these things and you will live by them. So there's a lot yeah. of that in Proverbs where we, we have to parse law and gospel to help people realize that the uses of the law are in full effect as we come to Proverbs, when we look at these imperatives, some of it is wisdom, as you and I were talking about before we even came on. And then some of the commands uh, certainly are promised. There are promises attached to them. And when we see that, we, we should think first use of the law, where we're told, do these things and you'll live. We assess ourselves in light of that. And we have not done what we're commanded to do. And we look to Christ who has done it for us. Second yeah. use of the law, though, to restrain our corruption, right? So we When Solomon will write to his proverbial son, do these things, son, and your life will go well. Or do not walk in the streets where you're going to be tempted at night by. Correct. (laughs) Don't walk in the, don't, don't hang out with people who plan and do wickedness all the time. It'll wreck your life. You know, do not, son, the, the adulteress, right? Do not go there, son, because it, it will absolutely destroy your life, you know? And, and so that's second use of the law in, in terms of the restraint of our corruption, because we see that there are promises associated with doing good and there are punishments and, and suffering associated with doing evil. And so it, it curbs our, our corruption. And then third use of the law in Christ Jesus, 
we see a guide for our living. You know, but it's right. Christ has done it. We're safe. We're good with God. We've been reconciled to him. And now we can consider these things in thinking about how we love God and also how we love neighbor. Proverbs is right. very useful because you and I are talking about this too. There's nothing in Proverbs that you and I can think of that is not vertically oriented in terms of love to God or horizontally oriented in terms of love to neighbor. And so right. Proverbs is packed full of stuff that makes you useful to your neighbor. You will That's be right. a better neighbor if you think in these ways and apply some of these things. Um, but they're not to be just internalized and, and turned into this like really hyper-introspective thing that we often do, thinking that if we just take these things to heart, our lives are just going to have this nice, clean, upward trajectory all the time. That's not, yeah. that's not the promise of Proverbs at all. Well, you, you kind of dropped some, some, some massive categories in here. So I want to unfold them a yeah. little bit just for the Sorry listener for that. that might be new. No, it, no, it's great. What are you talking about? So law gospel, first of all, we need to clarify, uh, if you are new to Reformed theology, if you're new to Theocast and you hear a law gospel distinction, you are probably asking yourself, uh, I think I know what that means, but I'm not sure. So it is, it's, it's one of the most important imperatives for you. It's, it's imperative, I should say, for you to properly understand scripture it's critical to understand that there there are there are there are ways in which the bible presents itself so a law is god's commandment for you to obey and then if you do that you are then accepted in his eyes and if you do it perfectly you're accepted in his eyes and considered mm-hmm. righteous and shall live considered righteous. do this and yeah. live right so just for sake of example, it's very obvious the Ten Commandments do not, do not, or do, and the obvious of mm-hmm. those is you're acceptable in the eyes of God. The gospel has no do, and it has no should, Amen. because that's not good news. So the law is always do, do or should. The gospel is always done, receive. Mm-hmm. So yep. the gospel Trust, is believe. good news that, that's right, Jesus has accomplished the law, not only has accomplished it, but did it on your behalf. And that's what we receive. We receive as the good news, one, forgiveness of our failure of the law, and two, we receive the righteousness of Christ. That's gospel. So when we say a law gospel distinction, when you read Proverbs, you have to have that in your mind. Because what we will do is we think, if I do this, God will accept me. That's actually law. Right. And you have to be careful there. You cannot turn that into gospel. So that that's one. I think, and also the three the three uses of the law, which we have we have brothers that would say they don't agree with us. What, sure. Which isn't funny. As I was thinking about this, and specifically like our Lutheran brothers, which I love them, and even some of our Reformed brothers, they would say we don't believe in the third use of the law or uses of the law that way. And I would yeah. say they do. They just don't verbalize it that way because Agreement. if you practice Agreement. church discipline. You believe in the third use of the law. <laughs> well, well, let me say this. I, I said this in a sermon recently in my church context. Because I acknowledge, I mean, for a lot of our people, John, they've never heard of the three uses of the law as they come to CBC. Right. And, and they're learning right. this for the first time. And, and I acknowledge that in preaching uh, a sermon recently, like I already said, that, hey, you're hearing this language of the three uses of the law, first, second, third use of the law, et cetera. And you're like, I've never heard that before brother, you know, where, where is this coming from? And to try to help people and comfort them and ease their minds a little bit, I said, look, um, 
I'm, we could talk about the history of it and, and all the rest at some other, some other point in time, but just think about how you live with your brothers and sisters in the church and how you talk all the time. The three uses of the law are clearly in use and in view for you. So for example, when you're dealing with a brother or sister in the church who's in sin and you say to them, brother, sister, look to Jesus. He is your righteousness. What is that? That's the first use of the law. Yes, you have failed. Look to Jesus who has done everything perfectly for you. That's first use. Second use. Whenever you look at somebody and you say you're, you're meeting with a friend and you're like, brother, do not go there. What you're doing is dangerous. It's going to wreck your life. What is that? That's second use of the law. It's restraining human corruption. And then third use, whenever you look at one another and you, in Christ Jesus, plead with one another, pray together that God would give you grace, that you might live unto him, that God would keep you from sin, you know, that we would conform our lives even to what God says is good and bad. What, that, what is that? I mean, we're acknowledging the third use of the law as the guide for our living. And so whether we want to acknowledge these categories formally or not, we all talk this way, think this way, plead this way, pray this way in the church. And so all we're trying to do is put handles on that for people. And we're not, this is not right. new to us. I mean, this is very old. No. So just, yeah, quick no. interjection on that. Yeah, we aren't, uh, as uh, we try in the podcast to help point you to confessions and reformers to help you understand that this is not, it's not even a denominational movement. This is what, these are, this is men trying to unpack and unfold scripture, which is our final right. authority. It's just helpful to use, you know, for instance, we use things like the word Trinity to help explain a very, very complicated Correct. concept. I have to say one word and you immediately understand what I'm saying. So when we say law gospel, right. it's just another way of saying like, a word like Trinity. It helps clarify right. categories for us right away. So I want to go back You're to exactly after right, now man. all saying all of that. Um, I want to go back to what a comment you had made. If we can keep the three uses of the law and law gospel distinction and and more importantly, a redemptive historic understanding, meaning that the Bible is about redemption and it unfolds through history. Right. When we look at Proverbs and Ecclesiastes, there are there are wisdom in there that are not attached to promises that sure. we can that we can like hang our hat on. For instance, uh, the, the, just as a, I was being funny, but out of out of reading Proverbs thirty one six and seven, where he gives a like an exact command, he's saying, "Go yeah. do this." There's an imperative. Well, yeah. right. If I don't obey, if I don't obey, if I don't obey that imperative, am I in sin? That if I don't get give strong drink to those who are perishing, because you and I have experienced congregants who are perishing. So, sure. am I in disobedience because I didn't take a bottle of wine into? or bourbon into the hospital and give it to the person. You see what I'm saying? Like we get so hyperactive about obeying scripture, but yet we actually don't think about what we're doing. And we, but so you would say, well, John, no, but then you'll go to another proverb and say, all right, if you don't do this, you're in sin. I'm like, okay, let's, let's, let's understand the context here. Israel, unfortunately had had a horrible history of falling in, in, you know, in pack with paganism over and yeah. over again, they would go into captivity. They would worship false idols. They would get into all kinds of sexual and cultural sins that were just debauchery. Mm. And yeah. so you've got a wise man who was blessed by God with wisdom saying, all right, son, the world's pretty, yeah. pretty messed up. I need to give yeah. you some wisdom here, <laughs> some common yeah, sense absolutely. for the day. Common sense for the day you know, in light of God's truth. And I, I want to make this comment now before we move forward. 
We've already referenced Ecclesiastes a few times. Ecclesiastes was written by the same man who wrote the majority of Proverbs. And it's critical that we hold those two books in tension because Ecclesiastes is a very honest treatment about life under the sun in a fallen world and the futility and the toil that we often encounter in our day-to-day lives, the, the fact that death is real and the fact that death tramples on every good thing that we have, that every good thing we have in life at some point will be a memory and then it'll just be gone. You know, And so it's important for us to hold Proverbs and Ecclesiastes in appropriate tension and not cancel one with the other. And so in, in thinking about that, it's, it's really important to remember some of the things that Proverbs will not do for you. you know? So like Proverbs, if you, if you read them and take them to a heart and apply them appropriately and all the rest, will not do the following. Proverbs will not deliver you from the fallenness of the world. It will not guarantee you good circumstances. It will not deliver you from all suffering. It will not keep you from the toil that characterizes life under the sun. It will not keep you from ever knowing heartbreak. It will not deliver you from pain and sorrow altogether. It will not keep you from groaning. Like Think about Romans 8. You will groan the entirety of your days on earth as you await the redemption of your body. And also, Proverbs will not deliver us from the struggle against sin. We will still fight our corruption. And we will not be delivered by Proverbs from weakness, you know? And so it's, it's really important that we realize these things and that we, we are not guaranteed in abiding by proverbial wisdom that things will never fall apart in our lives. And so I'm not trying to be like a broker for Satan's doubt here at all, but it's important that we hold scripture together and not be irresponsible in the way that we approach Proverbs and we uphold it for what it is. You know, it's, it's wisdom in light of redemptive history. There are promises that are made in it that we see ultimately fulfilled in Christ in our place, you know, and there are, there is guide for our living and all that. That's certainly true. And we're taught the difference between wisdom and folly, the difference between righteousness and evil. And we're taught how to be all kinds of good for our neighbor, you know, in looking, in looking at the Proverbs and we can learn much from it, but we ought not turn it into something that it was never intended to be. No. No, so understanding the difference between wisdom and promise, uh, you know, there are things in here that are helpful. Trust in the Lord with all thine heart, lean not into thine own understanding, and all thy ways acknowledge him, and he shall direct thy path. That's that's a great promise. That's a great promise. (laughs) Trust in the Lord and Uh, not yourself is good counsel. Right, and that's 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 wonderful. But that there there are other sections of scripture that. There are wisdom and context. You need to understand context, and they're what I call general wisdom. And listen, if you have children, you do this with your children. If you have employees, you do this with your employees, where you give them some general counsel of saying, listen, in general, and the general rule of thumb is this is not helpful. This is not wise. I'm teaching my son how to hunt. Uh, I got him a shotgun, and we, you know, so there are, I'm giving him some rules that in general, if he applies those rules, he'll be safe, but it's not a guarantee that he's never going to get hurt. And those are the right. things that you have to be careful with. When it comes to the gospel, there's like nothing that separates you from that promise. Like that's a guaranteed promise. And understanding that Jesus is the final fulfillment of all wisdom and promise, that everything that you have ever been commanded to do, including what's in the Proverbs, is fulfilled by the ultimate, which is Christ. So understanding where the context is, if you read that, it releases the pressure of everything that's in Proverbs, thinking, oh, unless I do this, I'm going to be an unwise, foolish person that God's never going to bless. Wrong. 
you have all blessings in Christ Jesus. The final promise and fulfillment is here. When you read Proverbs now, you read it in light of what Christ has done for you. Exactly. The promise is kept by God. And then understand that, hey, listen, a lot of these instructions are helpful for me to be a better neighbor to my wife, to my children, to the congregants. This A lot of actually what's said in Proverbs is reiterated by Paul in Ephesians and Galatians because it's talking about temperament and patience and graciousness. Or chapters, you know, like Romans chapter 12 and following is another section. Mm -hmm. It's very proverbial. You know, and I mean, right. so I might I might look at a few specific verses and sections of Proverbs really quick and just make some comments that might be helpful yeah. to, to the listener. So Absolutely. I want to begin with Proverbs 1, 7, which is a very uh, famous verse for good reason that reads this way in the ESV. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. So the first comment maybe on the latter piece is it is important for us to know that that in our natural state, you know, in, in born into a state of sin, we do not like instruction and wisdom. We are opposed to it. And so we need to start there and that's important. But that first piece, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Well, let's ask ourselves what that might mean. The fear of the Lord, the reverence of the Lord would entail what? First of all, it would entail knowing who the Lord is. And so we know something of his character and his nature and his holiness, right? Then in knowing and fearing the Lord, we would know and understand what he requires, which we've already discussed. It's laid out for us perfectly in his law, and he requires perfect fulfillment and obedience to that law. And so in knowing who God is and knowing what he requires, I then assess myself and I am undone. I'm ruined before him, and I am immediately driven outside of myself to Christ who has met God's standard and fulfilled God's law perfectly for me so that I might dwell with this holy God forever in perfect relationship with him. So right out of the gate in Proverbs, we, we get this very redemptive historical first use of the law thing going on. And then as we make our way over into chapter three, I just want to briefly touch on again what you referenced, John, also very famous verses, verses five and six of chapter three. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him and he will make straight your paths. Well, trust in the Lord and not yourself. That's a wonderful exhortation because, I mean, first of all, trust Christ in the gospel and not your own righteousness. When the Proverbs uses the language of straight paths, I mean, there's often the the juxtaposition of the path of the wicked and the path of the righteous. The path of the wicked are those who are going to be removed from the land and cut off. That's what Solomon even says, the path of the righteous are are those who will inherit the land. Well, how should we understand that? Again, we're talking about the righteousness of God counted to sinners by faith in Messiah. And so we we cannot escape any of those things as we look in the book of Proverbs. And then even chapter 16 and verse 6, where we read that by steadfast love and faithfulness, iniquity is atoned for. It's like, oh my gosh, well, whose steadfast love is that? And whose faithfulness is that, you know, by which iniquity is atoned for? So are we, I mean, I just want to be very clear here. Like people are like, is Jesus in the Proverbs? You better believe he is. He's all over the place. You know, as our, our righteousness and our atonement and as the fulfillment of everything described by way of wisdom for God's people. And, and I would argue that the beginning of wisdom. So if the beginning of knowledge is the fear of the Lord. You could, you could put right beside that. The beginning of wisdom is trusting Christ. 
Like right. bottom, like at the bottom of wisdom is trusting Jesus to do for you what you could never do for yourself and relying upon him alone for your standing before God. Yeah. And I want to bring up a couple famous Proverbs that are out there that, that are used. One used yeah. by, by parenting classes or parenting books, you know, Proverbs 22, six, train up a child in the way he should go. Even when he is old, he will not depart from it. Well, yeah, I don't, I mean, it seems like, uh, people have tried that Proverbs and, and it doesn't seem to work. So either they didn't train up their child, right. Or their Proverbs wrong, or maybe we're not understanding the proverb. But Correct. Proverbs 22 is chock full of all kinds of interesting instructions. Let's keep reading. Let's keep reading. Things like um, whoever, no, those, uh, verse 12, the eyes of the Lord keep watch over the knowledge, but the overthrowers, the words of the traitor. Uh, he who loves purity of heart and whose speech is gracious, this is a fun one, will have the king as a friend. So, you know, what these general rules right. of thumb what is he meaning? And I think you have to understand right. that these are what we call general. For instance, if if you don't speed, they're general then principles you'll be, of wisdom, right? So I tell my child, if you don't speed, you'll be safe. Well, that's if the people around you don't speed, and Correct. they they aren't drunk well, and they don't hit you. Well, brother, <laughs> that's exactly the Ecclesiastes piece that we've been bringing up over and over again. So I mean, take take. Proverbs 22, 6, that you said, you know, train up a child in the way he should go. Even when he is old, he will not depart from it. And then this same Solomon is going to come in in Ecclesiastes and say, yeah, and sometimes in a Genesis 3 world, things fall apart and go badly, you know? <laughs> right. And, or like you just said, you know, son, of, drive by the speed limit and be an attentive driver and, and you will be safer. You're, you'll be safe. True. But then like you, like you just alluded to, uh, and Solomon and Ecclesiastes is going to say, yeah, but there's a lot of really bad drivers out there on the road and you could do everything right and still be in a car wreck, you know? And that's not to to say that like the, the promise, not the promises, but the wisdom in Proverbs are not right and good and true. They are. But then Solomon again is going to come, you know, and put his arm around our shoulder and say, yeah, but it's not always going to be clean and it's not always going to go right. this way. There will be things that fall apart because Life under the sun is full of toil and futility and vanity because of the curse. And so, you know, I, I sometimes joke about Ecclesiastes and Solomon there is sort of talking in a way that we are very uncomfortable with in the church. And we're sort of like, we read Ecclesiastes and we're like, dude, you shouldn't talk like that. And, <laughs> and he says, well, you know, I'm just, I'm just describing things the way that they are. Um, well, you, you shouldn't say that. It's like, well, okay, maybe not, but this is how things really happen. I'm just calling it like it is, you know, well, mm. it shouldn't be that way, you know? And then Solomon's like, I agree with you, but it is this way. So now what, you know, what, what are we going to do? And I think it's important that we hold these things in tension to where we apply Proverbs in an appropriate way. Like you have been wonderfully describing, John, it's general wisdom to be applied and, and realize like that verse about raising your kids, you could do everything right and things could still go poorly in your child's life. And it's not that you have been unwise, right? It's just that so much depends on grace and the fallenness of the world is real. The power of sin and corruption is real. And therefore we're constantly looking outside of ourselves to trust the Lord because, you know, even, even in our best efforts to apply wisdom, it's, it's not infallible. You know, no, just even the end of Ecclesiastes, 
<laughs> it, it it it's he just puts people into law. There, there's you scream, "Where's the Messiah?" When you finish reading Ecclesiastes, he yep. says, "The end, the end of the end of this is the end of the matter. All has when been everything's heard. been said. Fear, yep. that's right. Fear God and keep His commandment, for this is the whole duty yep. of man. For God will bring yep. every deed into judgment with every secret thing, whether good or evil. <laughs> that's how he ends. And you're going, Bro. uh, that there. Where's the hope, Solomon? He's like, it's right. called the covenant of grace. It's called promise of exactly. the Messiah. That's yeah, it's right. called the Christ well, is coming. Yeah. Well, we need to move into the members podcast. And I think no we kidding. can speak a little bit more to Ecclesiastes and maybe even throw in Song Solomon. Uh, I don't know. We'll see. See how that maybe. all comes in. Just kind of one book after the other, right? Might as well. But it's been uh, it's been a wonderful conversation. If you want to uh, participate with us as we continue this conversation, they go from anywhere from twenty to forty minutes, depending on what the topic is. <laughs> depending, yeah, <laughs> that's right. So that's our membership podcast. It's just a simple way for us to continue the conversation, and we are a little bit. Uh, that's kind of where we relax a little bit more. It's it's not as premium proper. It's for those who kind of want to jump around the table and enjoy it. So often we will answer questions that we get from our listeners. You can uh, join that by going to theocast.org and look for our total access membership as a 14-day free trial. Most importantly, what that membership does is it actually supports us so that we can get this message out to more people around the world through the podcast, articles, and books. And we have more books coming out as well as our transcripts. You can go and read those as well. Thank you for listening. We will be speaking to you next week.